Hello everyone, welcome to episode number 41 of Starting to Know Business Podcast with your host and your friend Ishu Singh. Time is passing super fast. It's already being 41 episode. Yeah, and I'm amazed. I still remember the first episode. It was not too far ago, but I still remember it like I was confused. I was thinking, should I should I start the podcast or not? Should I press the record button or not? It was really it was really a different feeling for me. I was confused. I didn't know how to start, where to start, what people are going to say, what we people are going to tell. Is someone going to uh, join me during the podcast interviews or not? How to reach them? What they're gonna say? Who you are? Things like that. So it was it was a really I would say fascinating journey. And I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for being a part of this journey. It was never, never would have been possible without your support. Thank you so much for being there and listening to this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast for the very first time, starting to know is about starting to know business. No, it's not only about the new founders, new entrepreneurs. Yes, this is for you as well, but this is for other listeners as well. If you have the scaled company and you want to learn different level of knowledge, yes, this podcast is about you as well. Why I say about you and not for you? Because if you're listening to this, you're part of this family now. This is about you as well. And if you have any feedback related with this, you can get in touch with me on issuesing.com, I-S-H-U-S-I-N-G-H.com, and we can talk there. And this podcast can become entirely about you as well. So feel free to get in touch. Thank you so much. And if you didn't get a chance to have a look at startingtoknow.com, startingtoknow.com. It's an online magazine evolution of this podcast. We are taking it to the new levels and we have been featured on Hacker Noon, Influensive. Other places are coming soon. So people are talking about us. Things are happening. Podcast is going awesome. So if you didn't get a chance, this is your time. Have a look. Learn something awesome. And we have a 31 emails subject lines as well there ready-made for you. You can also subscribe to that list and get that 31 email subject lines ready to go. I have a shout out for the podcast from Tim. It's a business and process podcast. It's a daily dose, kick in the pants, resourceful podcast that will keep, keep you focused on point and help you. Tim is a process coach. He owned brick and mortar business for 10 years and he's now on a mission to help. If you want to run your business with confidence, if you want to have clarity, this can be the show for you. Listen in as Tim shares down hacks and insights for how to be successful in your business and life processes because it's all about process. Go to Tim's podcast. You can also learn about this podcast on businessprocesspodcast.com. The name of today's guest is Emily. Emily is the owner and chief email marketer at Flourish Grit. It's an email marketing and automation studio. Her expertise is in email marketing, uncover hidden revenue, 
in copywriting and design yeah this can be a common thing for you yeah nothing special okay let me read some numbers for you 80 million dollars on revenue 2000 plus email campaigns sent 225 plus email automations built okay 10 plus email marketing products mastered these are not small achievements the the amount of knowledge that she has is different like it's another level I've read the testimonials as well. People are raving about her. Like there are many positive things that can that that let me that actually led me to talk to Emily. Like there are many things. She feels like a complete package and has all the answers. So without further ado, let's welcome Emily and we can ask her all the questions that we have in our mind. Hi Emily, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. You're very welcome here. Emily, what is Flourish Grit Marketing? Uh, well, Flourish and Grit is a, we're a very small boutique marketing agency where we focus uh, specifically on email marketing and the customer journey. So we do all things email and CRM work. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the holy grail question first day because i wanted to ask you this how to reach the inbox <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to the spam folder yes yeah i know so there's there's a lot of um misconceptions about that and um basically what happens is so you know as you know everything online is tracked including the um, IP address from uh, from which your emails come from. Mm -hmm. So um, there is what's called a sender reputation attached to that, that email clients like Gmail or Outlook or whatever look at to determine whether or not you're a safe sender. So they look at a lot of different factors. Um, one of those is um, how many spam complaints you have against you. And another one is how engaged it, um, are people with your, um, with your IP. So, so two things here. So one is, you know, making sure that people don't mark you as spam, which um, can happen if um, people didn't give you permission to email them in the first place, mm -hmm. or B, you make it really hard for people to find your unsubscribe link. Some people try to get really creative with hiding it at the bottom of their emails because they don't want people to unsubscribe. And if you don't give people the option to unsubscribe or make it easy for them to do that, they're going to mark you as spam, right? They don't know the difference. Mm -hmm. so, so that's the first part. The second part is making sure you have an engaged uh, email list. So if people are opening and clicking on your emails, you're gonna be seen as a safer sender. Uh, so that means maybe letting go of some contacts who haven't opened your emails in a while. Mm -hmm. um, they are dragging down your sender reputation. Mm -hmm. So, 
so those two things um, are going to help make sure your emails end up in the inbox instead of the spam folder. Of course, there's a lot more that goes into that, but those are the two biggest areas I can see people uh, improve on immediately. Okay. And Emily, what do you think like about the promotions uh, folder? Is there any way to avoid that and resign box? Yeah. So um, that's another thing that there's a lot of debate about. Obviously, if your emails end up in the promotions folder, you get lumped in with all the other people sending promotional emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Gmail dis- or Google designed that feature for a reason. And uh, because they want to protect their users' experience with Gmail. So now people have gotten pretty used to checking all the tabs and uh, getting a promotional email in the primary inbox can feel a little, um, it can feel a little intrusive to users. So in my opinion, and what I've seen is keeping your emails in the promotions tab, makes sure that you're providing a user experience that people are expecting. Because um, as soon as we, we turn people off, they're going to leave our email list, right? So as much as getting into the promotions tab um, could improve open rates, it might not, um, it might result in people not sticking around on your email list. Yeah, basically, you're not trying to be, uh, I would say, smart. Like People will think that, okay, yeah, you're your emails, you're sending the emails and it's naturally landing in inbox. If it is inbox related stuff, mm-hmm. if it is promotion related, it's landing in promotion. So if there is promotion related stuff and it's going in the inbox, you, you're basically saying like it's going to turn off some of the users and they might think that, okay, I, I don't need this in my inbox. I only need primary mails in my inbox, right? Exactly. So it's going to align with your subscribers' expectations so much more to uh, just uh, to stay in the promotions folder instead of trying to get a promotional email into their primary inbox. Exactly the way you phrased it. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned about the sender reputation or like IP address from where the sender is sending the emails. Do you think that getting your own IP address can solve that problem or it doesn't matter if you're going with the IP address of the companies who established companies sending uh, thousands of emails already, but with a good reputation. Do you think that it matters uh, having your own IP or like, it should be okay to use the IP address of the company if, if the sender is having a good reputation? Yeah, ideally having your own IP address allows you more control of your, over your sender reputation. But that's something for um, someone would have to manage. And not every company has the resources to dedicate one person to ensuring that their IP address stays on the safe sender list. Hmm. Um, the re- uh, so if you don't have those kind of resources, your better bet is to just go with your email service providers' IPs 
and or their servers that they're sending their um, emails through. However, I would warn people that um, make sure you're looking at your email service providers policies around what kind of content uh, people can email and um, that they are enforcing permission-based email marketing because you're sharing an IP address with other users uh, through that email service provider. And if they're not practicing safe sending habits, then your, your sender reputation is going to be tied to theirs, right? In a mm. way. Mm. How, so um, a lot of the uh, a lot of email service providers will make sure that they are keeping their sender reputation. They, they have dedicated resources to make sure their sender reputation stays safe. Mm. Um, but again, make sure they have policies in place to protect it mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. your, uh, your sender reputation is tied to other users. So True. it's a matter of resources, right? Like most anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because I've seen um, similar kind of pattern. I was uh, talking to one company. We were we wanted to have email integration with our product, like software product. Mm-hmm. We wanted to send onboarding emails. So what we I just noticed this company. I didn't notice this company before. So they have a separate kind of mechanism, and we have to tell them like they have two kind of drop down list. If we want to send the onboarding emails, I have to select a particular drop down like all the emails will be sent with this IP. So they don't force people to buy your own IP. They say like, okay, that everyone's everyone should be using the same IP, but at the same time, we need to be very careful who is sending what. So they have a separate dropdown for onboarding emails. They have a separate dropdown for, for, for marketing emails. They have a separate dropdown. So depending on what you're sending, select the right one so that the other people are not going to get affected. And ultimately we are not going to get affected. Right. Exactly. And that's really smart of them. Um, Especially because, you know, there are, um, you know, onboarding emails or transactional emails. Mm. They have different um, criteria around them in that, you know, um, so somebody doesn't have to subscribe to your list in order to get an onboarding or a transactional email, right? Because that is a customer relationship um, type mm-hmm. of email it has something directly to do with something they purchased from you. Yeah. So, but a marketing message has to have um, an unsubscribe link and um, it has to be to somebody who's giving you permission to send them emails. So those are two different types of legalities and compliance issues you have to think about. True. True. And I'm going to read, because I was doing some research, I'm going to read some numbers here. Over 2,000 email campaigns, $80 million in revenue, 10 emails provider mastered, and uh, important ones um, that I have to read here. Harry Potter was read five times. <laughs> Shit Creeks was, was washed for 10 times. So, <laughs> like, first of all, congrats on the achievement, right? Like, including <laughs> Harry Potter's and Shit Creeks. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the few important things that, that that you have learned from the 2000 campaigns that you have sent the important ones 
Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> I think that's the, the biggest lesson I learned. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I feel like the initiation into becoming an email marketer is sending out an email and then realizing you made a mistake after you hit send. And most people, the first time they do that are completely mortified and just want to dig a hole and go uh, hide forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I have worked on teams where no less than five people looked at an email campaign before it went out the door and it still had a mistake on it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the biggest lessons I learned is that, you know, we're all human, Mm -hmm. mistakes happen. And we also, we have the opportunity to do better next time. So um, that's, that's one thing. Uh, the other one is that, um, you know, people like to talk a lot about best practices in email marketing and what I've learned from testing hundreds of emails is that best practices are a great starting point to learn how to adapt to your business because everybody's, um, organization business is unique. The tools you're using are unique. Your audience is unique. So a lot of the best practices I've, I've tested for clients don't really hold up. Um, mm-hmm. But again, they're a great place to start thinking more strategically about your email program so that you can start looking at um, how to test and improve things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm basically start from the overall best practices and then develop your own best practices depending on what you're doing or for which company you're working, right? Exactly, exactly. For your audience, for your process, uh, for the, a lot of things that really restrict people are the types of tools they're using. And so not everybody gets to do the fun, fancy things. Mm because they, uh, they just don't have those resources. So um, we all have to start somewhere. And um, I think everybody's first instinct is to look up best practices, but I, a lot of people I meet make the mistake of taking those things as set in stone and they're not, you know, everything has to be adapted to your organization. Mm-hmm. So you just test the point of tools. So and you have master 10 tools, like what tools do you use for sending the campaigns and which one do you recommend? So for, um, especially for B2B businesses mm-hmm. and small businesses, I love active campaign. Um, I tell everybody it's the best bang for your buck. They um, have fantastic um, tools and resources for the price point. It's pretty great. Um, and for e-commerce folks, I typically recommend Clavio. Mm-hmm. Um, those two have been, um, again, the, the best bang for your buck that I've seen. And I've tried a lot of them. Um, where, where it gets tricky is if you have a custom developed product or tool that you need to integrate with an email service provider, then you need to get more um, 
you have to shop around some more, right? To make mm-hmm. sure that everything will work together. Mm-hmm. And when you do yeah, your expertise lies in automation and the overall email, email marketing area. So do you think like, uh, I would say email marketing tools alone are enough for getting the revenue or do you think like CRMs are the best play? So um, in order to really drive personalized email messages or email campaigns, um, which is where I've seen a lot of um, the best conversion rates on email campaigns, you need to have some kind of CRM that helps you manage and organize your your contact information, right? Um, Because you need to be able to collect, uh, store, and use information about your subscribers. And that's where the beauty is of email marketing because a lot of other marketing channels, you have sort of really broad um, strokes and ideas of what your audience is doing with when you have an email address, you can, um, again, depending on your tools, you can see what your customers have purchased, when's the last time they purchased, uh, what pages on your website they're browsing, and you need to be able to collect and store that in one place in order to actually do something with it. So um, once you go beyond just sending um, email campaigns or newsletters to your list and you want to get into automation, then you need to start thinking about um, how you're organizing your contact data, which um, a CRM will help you do much better. Mm-hmm. Emily, do you think the personal relations can be built with the email marketing or it's just, it's just a saying and it's, it's hard to do that when you're doing it at a scale? So basically what I'm trying to get at is, yeah, we know transactional, when I say transactional email, I'm not talking about on, onboarding. I'm talking about mm-hmm. like a monetary emails, like selling mm-hmm. the uh, products and services. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think like we can go actually, we can actually go beyond that, that transaction journey and have the one-on-one relationship with a person? Yeah, we, we will be dealing with the persona, but not with the individual person but is there actually doable or is just like sayings is it's actually very hard to do that yeah I mean it can be because especially in the e-commerce world I feel like people when they talk about personalization uh they they're typically talking about um you know products that people are interested in or, or product categories and things like that but um what I found to be even more useful when you're thinking about building relationships at scale and um, delivering personalized email experiences is to look at the customer journey and see where people are with your brand, depending on how long they've been on your list, how did they get on your list, uh, what how engaged have they been with your emails? How do you, or what, um, what content are they browsing on your website? All of those kinds of things can give you ideas 
about where people are on on their journey how close are they to purchasing and if you can gather that data you can start really targeting and personalizing your campaigns mm-hmm. um to where people are on your journey on their journey mm-hmm. um of course that gets more complicated if you have a very complicated business right like mm-hmm. i work with people who have you know, multiple divisions and products and services within those divisions. And that gets really, really tricky um, and complex. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, again, it just depends on the your business model. How many offers do you have? But ultimately, like I said, just thinking about, you know, what do you need to do to get a lead to become a customer? Where are they? What are they interested in? What are they looking at on your website? And how do you nurture them to the next stage? Mm-hmm. I think that's baseline what you can do for personalization. And a lot of people don't look at it that way. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about complexity, like because you mentioned that point. So how important is the mapping process? Like, do you do you entirely rely on the tool that you're using for that particular customer or you are more so of a manual person and you you like to first draw the things out on the paper and then go back to the tool and to do the actual vis- conversion of the visualization process to the customer journey yeah so we're talking about um so i like to map out the customer journey for folks and Um, and how email plays a part in that. And what I do is, you know, I I just, the map I do is agnostic of the tool they have. So it's not dependent on the tools they have because, um, you know, not everybody's married to their email service provider. And some Mm -hmm. people are actually on the market uh, looking to make a change. Mm. Um, But, you know, I can tell people that they need, um, they need, or it would be beneficial for them to do things that aren't in their um, capability right now. So they can start planning and looking at those things later. Um, But um, typically, uh, but most of the time, there are some really low hanging fruit that come out of the roadmap that can be implemented regardless of the tool you're, the tools you're using. So it's basically like um, the map produces, you know, here are your, your biggest opportunities that you can easily implement on your own. Here are some aspirational opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're ready to really invest in the next phase of your email program. Mm-hmm. okay okay i got it that brings another question in my mind like how important is to keep the subscribers list clean do you recommend self-cleaning or or you let the subscribers sit in the list and let them unsubscribe on their own or do you do you feel that we should be doing self-cleaning as well like they didn't open the email they didn't do any activity let get them out of the list or something like that. What do you think? Or let them sit on the list. Yeah. So I, um, the cleanliness of your list is really important. 
Um, and it is because of what we started talking about, which was, uh, you know, getting marked as spam or ending up in the spam mm. folder. So that um, having an engaged list is going to improve your, your ability to end up in the inbox. It's going to improve your numbers across the board, open rates, click-through rates, um, all of that kind of thing. So um, depending on how many emails you're sending out, um, I typically recommend people to start looking at unengaged contacts after 90 days. Um, again, that depends on how many emails you're sending out. If you're only sending out one email a month, mm -hmm. then you know 90 days doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And then um, look at, you can do a few things. One, you can run a re-engagement campaign. So specifically pull those people out and have them uh, run through a special campaign to try and get them to engage again, uh, or um, just suppress them for a while and see if, you know, if you stop sending them emails for three months and start sending again, does that change anything? And then, uh, then you have to decide, am I willing to part with this subscriber? Some people have a really hard time doing that, which I totally get because mm -hmm. uh, you put all that effort into uh, getting that subscriber, why would you want to let them go? So, um, but overall it improves your, uh, your, like I said, your ability to end up in the inbox and your, your, your numbers across the board. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So to do a quick recap of this part, like, Basically, we discussed to have a clean email list. We we discussed that uh, we should do a proper mapping, and uh, we should we should basically nurture the leads um, by identifying or by creating a map. Okay, this is the area that we we should be nurturing. Do you think is there anything called over nurturing as well? Over nurturing. Like sending too uh, many emails? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that is the constant debate in um, email marketing. And um, so again, like this is one of those things that it depends on your resources. And I'll say this because, um, you know, people talk about being annoyed with getting too many emails. And yes, if you get too many emails, from a, a particular sender and you're not engaged with them or you don't really care anymore, you're gonna end up unsubscribing. So what, um, but what I, and what I typically see is when people start seeing email marketing work for them, they get really excited and they say, send more emails, just send, keep sending emails. It's working, it's working. And yes, um, revenue will increase. I've seen people make double the amount of money by sending um, twice as many emails. Wow. But what also happens is you start losing subscribers. People um, also, your unsubscribe rate doubles, mm. right? <laughs> right along with it. So then you start getting on this hamster wheel of, well, we got to get new subscribers. So you're just churning through your list um, by sending 
uh, way more emails than people, most people can tolerate. Mm. Um, and that's a strategy that some companies use uh, because they're only looking at revenue as their primary metric of success. Uh, but if you start looking at profitability and how much, how many resources it takes to send out double the emails mm. and how many resources it takes to replace those subscribers, you're pro- um, most of the time you're not going to see um, the same increase in profitability. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that's probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned from sending so mm-hmm. many emails <laughs> is that, um, yes, revenue can go up, but that doesn't mean profitability does. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, essentially you're creating more work for yourself in the long run. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you prefer HTML based emails uh, or do you prefer text based? So I prefer both. So mm-hmm. I actually you um, I do both of them in my in, um, email strategies. Sometimes a more visual HTML type of template um, makes more sense for the campaign, like a newsletter. Or if you are a very visually driven brand, you know, if you have a, a consumer product of some kind, but um, sprinkling in text only emails into those campaigns or into even that type of world um, can also do wonders for conversion. Um, but I, I would say most. And again, it, it depends on your resources. If you have somebody who knows how to do an HTML email on your team and can do one well, then do it. Um, but I, I find that that's a, a big skill gap that a lot of people don't have on their team. So text emails tend to be the way to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Is there anything that you want to share with the founders or the entrepreneurs that I might not have asked you? Yeah, I mean, I have a very, um, like I said, I have a, a, an approach to email that's like, it's not going to be perfect. You know, mm-hmm. we all have to start somewhere. And most of the time when you start something uh, new, especially when it's marketing and putting your brand and your business out there can be really intimidating. Uh, so getting something going is going to be your best bet first, right? Just get it out there, get it done, Hmm. and then start refining. Uh, Because the more you focus on it being perfect uh, from the get-go, the less likely it is going to happen, right? Hmm. So there's always going to be room for improvement, but just starting somewhere will get you to where you want to go eventually. I am mm. of the same type. Like uh, I'm always like less thinking and go for it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And um, I am a, I can be a chronic overthinker. So I say this as much as for my own benefit as everybody else. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's something I have to tell myself all the time. And shockingly, I'm not so unique. (laughs) So um, yeah, yeah, something is better than nothing. You just got to get it out there and then refine. True, true. Emily, how and where to connect with you if someone wants to get in touch? 
Yeah, I hang out a lot on LinkedIn, so feel free to connect with me there. I also um, have a website. Uh, it's flourishgrit.com, and I have a ton of free resources on email marketing there. If you, if anybody wants to go uh, learn more about how to be a better email marketer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Thank you so much, Emily, for coming to the pod today. This means a lot. Yes, thanks so much for having me.